Today on Go Check Yourself, we're talking about Season 5, Episode 2, Chuck versus the Bearded Bandit. And I have spent the past week writing the perfect cold open bit for this episode. I printed it out here. It is the only copy that exists, and I will be reading it right now. Let me just hold it out far from my body and... Goddamn bearded bandit stole it. I don't have an introduction to this episode now. I'm such a loser. Well, that took a weird turn. Hello. <laughs> You're listening to Go Check Yourself. My name is Chris Gillespie. My name is Aaron Arada. I don't have any printed materials for this show. Everything is digital. I, that's because I'm afraid of someone coming up and stealing something. Someone ripping something out of my hands. I can't allow that to happen. So I have uh, a dozen backups of everything <laughs> that we do for Go Check Yourself. I have multiple Word documents. I have mul- multiple audio files. Uh, I have many external hard drives. Go Chuck Yourself is the most secure property on the internet. And that's a challenge to you. If you think you can hack Go Chuck Yourself, <laughs> do it. Oh, please don't hack Go Chuck Yourself. <laughs> we are not capable of fending off hackers. Um, this week, we are talking about Chuck versus the Bearded Bandit, which is the second episode of season five. Um, before we started recording, Erin uh, pulled me aside and told me that this is her favorite episode of Chuck. <laughs> I think it's kind of a weird episode to be your absolute favorite, but she was just, very insistent that I this love is it. the one. I love it so much. Um, sort mm-hmm. of like how you feel about you 2 where they're like touching your soul. I feel like this episode, okay. like the bearded bandit really touches me like in an intimate way. This is good. I, I had said something non-ironically to Aaron before we started recording. This is not a joke where I did say something along those lines <laughs> about you 2s music. <laughs> And because I did this bit against her, she has used that against me as a weapon, <laughs> which I deserve. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it's that uh, weird. Like, I, U2 is a very emotional band. Like, we've been talking about U2 in the context of emotion, in the specific context of the trailer for Sing 2. Right, uh, correct. <laughs> which, please tweet at us if you agree with this, or um, if you haven't seen the trailer for Sing 2, like, go on YouTube right now and pull it up, um, and tell us that you don't cry. Because neither of us <laughs> have seen Sing 1. I don't think either of us had any interest in seeing Sing 1 or Sing 2. Like, devoid of the context of this trailer, when I see a poster for Sing, which happens a lot here in LA, I don't I don't have any reaction. I don't know anything about um, Taryn Edgerton's character or uh, Reese Witherspoon, who plays, um, I don't remember what her character's name is. There's big character posters around here. But seeing this trailer, I legitimately cried. It was the most emotionally manipulative thing I've ever seen. And I think it's because they were playing you too. I got choked up because it was you too. So I figured that like, well, I'm a freak. I'm pathetic for this happening. But Aaron confirmed that, um, not that Aaron's not also weird, but <laughs> that we are at least the same kind of weird. Seth also cried. Like, we all yeah. cried. Like, we're all weird, but we all did right. cry. So, presumably some of our listeners are also weird and will also cry. So please uh, tweet at us, <laughs> Go Chuck Podcast, if uh, you cry at the Sing 2 trailer. 
you know, it's not really the best practice to make assumptions about uh, giant, you know, faceless bodies of people like such as our listeners. Uh, but I guess we could probably take a stab and say that uh, <laughs> maybe you identify as weird if you like Chuck and if you're listening to this podcast specifically. Uh, before we get into the episode itself, we did have a couple of tidbits that we wanted to touch upon. Uh, apparently, so a few couple episodes back, we did an episode about the Tomorrow War, which is the action movie uh, about aliens uh, that stars Ivan Strahovski as one of the main characters. But Aaron, moments before we started recording, unearthed an interesting tidbit that pertains to both that movie and also our series, Chuck, that we discuss here. So when we were talking about the Tomorrow War, um, we were discussing how the characters of Chuck would potentially fit into the cast of the Tomorrow War, but something we did not discuss is how the cast of the Tomorrow War, other than Ivan Strahovski, would fit into the show Chuck. Um, this may not be news to many of our quote-unquote weird listeners who may know a lot more about Chuck than we do, um, but it has recently come to my attention that Chris Pratt was Josh Schwartz's first pick for Chuck, which is something I really regret not talking about in the Tomorrow War episode. Um, Chris Pratt is in the news currently because he's just been cast as Mario, and personally I think Chris Pratt has been cast as too many beloved characters. Um, although he would have maybe been like Parks and Rec era Chris Pratt if he was in Chuck. It's hard to imagine anyone other than Zachary Levi playing Chuck, but like he would be kind of like good Chris Pratt. Like when when Chris Pratt was like a little more likable, I feel like. But maybe Chuck would have broken him sooner or maybe it would have kept him as like a a likable chubby actor. But then they couldn't have they couldn't also have Joshua Gomez playing Morgan, I don't think, because they would be too like I I mean, I just feel like Chris Pratt and like old Chris Pratt, proto Chris Pratt and Joshua Gomez have like similar vibes. Do you agree with it? Like, I don't know. I don't know what I'm describing. They both have beards, I guess. So that's weird. Um, I guess that um, Chris Pratt worked with Josh Schwartz on the OC. I haven't gotten to that season yet in my rewatch, but I think he's in one of the later seasons and plays like a college boy. I, yeah, I mean, I think it, maybe Chris Pratt would have been because Chuck's the character's evolution. Obviously, he becomes the spy mm -hmm. become, like that might have. So I think you probably still would have had the Chris Pratt evolution. Would he have become the major blockbuster star if he was in Chuck? Like, maybe, maybe not. Who knows? Who can say? Yeah. But I, I'm glad that Zachary Levi and not Chris Pratt. I'm, I'm glad but too. Yeah. I just think Chris Pratt is a little bit overexposed at this point. Yeah. If, if, <laughs> if that was not clear from our entire episode about the Tomorrow War. We haven't done our, uh, our corner discussing American underdog in which Adam Baldwin and Zachary Levi are starring in another property together. Right. Um, correct. That's a good point. Chris is a smart boy and I am a smart uh, boy and recognized Adam Baldwin immediately. I am not a smart girl and did not recognize him because I have face blindness as we have discussed. Um, and he has gray hair. Um, he looks a little older and I guess I just didn't know it was him. I'm uh, not going to lie. I'm pretty excited for this movie. I'm not usually a sports movie guy, but we got Zachary Levi and Adam Baldwin making their reunion and on-screen reunion. I would say I would say I am fascinated by the movie. I would not say I'm excited about the movie, but um, if if we go see it together, I will go see it. 
it doesn't matter if you're fast, if you're excited about it, you just have to accept that you will be watching it at some yeah, point same, yeah. in the future. Almost definitely. Go if, it was, underdog it was almost, yourself. It was definitely a certain done deal when Zachary Levi was in it just by himself. Yeah, yeah. But now that mm-hmm. Adam Baldwin is also in it, it's basically a Chuck movie. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I, I mean, based on the trailer, it seems like they might be like done or like well into post-production. But I wouldn't be surprised if um, they somehow like recast and reshoot whoever. Um, I think Anna Paquin is playing Zachary Levi's wife, but like they could mm-hmm. get Yvonne in there instead. So now that we've covered all of this important news, let's dive into Chuck versus the Bearded Bandit, which is once again Aaron's favorite <laughs> episode of Chuck. So this episode starts with a presentation at the Comtech Security Conference, which I do not believe is a real thing, but it is a real thing in the context of Chuck, where Chuck, Sarah, and Casey are presenting Carmichael Industries to an extremely bored audience. Chuck fucks up the PowerPoint presentation, and I was actually genuinely disappointed in him here. Where's my boy's tech skills? Come on. He, like, in the first episode of Chuck, he, like, diffuses a a porn bomb thing, a bomb using porn. And in this, he doesn't even know how to click to the next slide. Come on, Chuck, you're losing it. The audience is also disappointed and, dare I say, not impressed. Immediately after Carmichael Industries, there's a presentation that really brings it. I'm talking the lights shut off, there's little red laser pointers flying all over the place. Carrie Ann Moss, that's right, people, this is not a drill. Carrie Ann Moss has arrived and is playing Gertrude Verbansky, the CEO, no less, of Verbansky Corp. Apparently, she has a history with Casey, which we know because when she shows up, the camera keeps continually zooming in on Casey's face. We cut back to Castle, where Casey explains that Verbansky was once the KGB's most ruthless spy, but she's now gone into private security. Apparently, they have a bit of a history because Verbansky tried to kill Casey in 1995 in Minsk. Apparently, this is also the Halloween episode. Don't worry, it's not mentioned at all, but there are pumpkins around and decorations for sale in the Buy More. And that's the only time we're going to mention it, because it's really the only time it's relevant. It it made me a little sad that I was like, oh, this is the last Halloween episode of Chuck, because I feel like there's been a Halloween episode every season. And now this is the last one kind of was a I mean, that is kind of a bummer. Um, I'm I was mostly bummed that they didn't do anything at all with it, like what you're gonna mention in like later on aside um that didn't really have any relevance to halloween that could have been any item in the circle k um i don't know why they bothered to put up halloween decorations it seems like more work than it was worth for the pas considering um but i'll allow it so in the apartment courtyard chuck relives the disappointing presentation for Devin, who is disappointed to hear that things didn't go well but he says at least the buy more is still bringing in money Apparently, he's also on board with uh, Chuck and Sarah's really weird kind of amoral decision to use the money from the buy more to finance their uh, private uh, buying a house and private freelancing business. Devin seems cool with this. Maybe we're supposed to be cool with it, too. I don't know. It just seems weird to me. Unfortunately for Devin and Chuck, it's 2011 and big box electronic stores are not really doing well. In an empty buy more, Morgan pleads with Chuck to bring out the Intersect and use that as Carmichael Industries' calling card, but Chuck explains they can't because Morgan's brain is quite literally stolen government technology. Just something I hadn't really thought about. Um, Chuck kind of frames it as, like, Morgan is going to get killed, potentially by Decker, if anyone finds out he's the Intersect. Mm -hmm. But, like, 
he is actually like he has CIA secrets in his head and he is a civilian and I feel like somebody should know about that like it, it makes me a little uncomfortable so as all this is happening Morgan zooms on a guy named Carl Schneider who's apparently bad news before Chuck can stop him Morgan zooms again and kicks Schneider in the face knocking him out Unfortunately, they then learn that Schneider was a potential client there to meet with the Carmichael Industries teams. So like any modern non-medical professional would, they crack smelling salts under his nose and offer him a basket of bran muffins. Once he's conscious, they ask why Morgan may have thought he was a bad guy, and he explains that he's a diamond trader in South Africa, but has come to them with a legitimate mission, save his kidnapped little brother for $400,000. So I just have to say that uh carl snyder is played by the actor jeff fahey uh and a little bit of trivia that is not actually i don't think it's actually on imdb this is just a connection that i made with my own brain um after doing my own research is that jeff fahey starred in a movie from the 90s called the lawnmower man which you may be familiar with listener i was not familiar with beforehand but upon researching this movie and watching the trailer for it, I realized that The Lawnmower Man is about as a movie about someone whose brain is corrupted by a supercomputer and they get all these extra powers from the supercomputer that the, is corrupting their brain. So that's kind of like the intersect and uh, what's happening with Morgan in this episode. So I feel like this was some uh, pretty geeky stunt casting once again. Here at Chuck, Carl Snyder, you wouldn't think that he was a had some kind of intertextual relationship with Chuck, but I think that could be it. I'm going to absolutely guarantee that Josh Schwartz and Chris Fiedag know that and <laughs> cast him for that reason. I am 99.999% sure that that is correct. I'm picturing them listening to this right now, sitting in their mansions and every, they're like, finally, someone yeah, gets Aaron it. And, Aaron and Chris are getting too close for comfort. <laughs> They're going to unravel this whole thing. That's true. Um, Chris Fedak does have it in for you. Um, I think we established in a previous season. So um, watch your back. So with a new mission on the book, Sarah encourages Chuck to take on some more responsibility, specifically for Morgan, who's turning into a little bit of a loose cannon and may just need a handler. Chuck heads to Morgan's office at the Bymore to discuss it. And we learn that our best friend Alex is in this episode or uh, just her picture. Too bad. Mm. Morgan seems into the idea of Chuck being his handler at first, but before they can discuss it too, too much, Big Mike returns from what was apparently his honeymoon in Hawaii. He's also noticed that business is slow and has a plan to fix things with his groovy 70s commercial. Chuck and Morgan aren't convinced and suggest that they might need a fresh face and a fresh take, and Big Mike is a little hurt. Meanwhile, Casey probes the apparent compound that Snyder's brother is being held at, he does this by pretending to be a hapless southern duck hunter in what appears to be a cliff in Malibu. And I don't know who he thinks he's fooling. I mean, I guess he fools these guys because they're pretty stupid, but I, I don't think I don't know that duck hunting is legal, like in the residential areas of Malibu, California. That's another question for our listeners. If you're familiar with uh, Malibu County's <laughs> hunting laws, feel free to uh, write in and let us know. Down in Castle, Sarah gets a call from Verbansky Corp. We know because it says right on her phone. And I don't know, like, again, what is with these caller IDs and Chuck? They're just so specific and know things that, like, this is the first time Sarah's spoken to them. She hasn't, like, saved their number. 
This isn't, this is wild. Um, the next scene is Sarah actually in Verbansky's office where Verbansky has Casey's gun on display, much to Sarah's chagrin. Verbansky says she wants to hire Sarah for a job opening, but Sarah suspects this is really just a ploy to get Casey, and she walks. But not before calling Verbansky a tacky-ass bitch. Those words exactly. <laughs> Sarah declines to work for, for Verbansky because they know that it's not legal to have two people who are that hot working for the same company okay, you, so at the same you time. Also, you're also attracted to Carrie Ann Moss? I, I was like... Wow, she's like really good looking and is like better looking than almost everyone on Chuck besides Yvonne. Yes, so. I would I would agree with that. I I feel like it's so interesting, like um I mean she's she's seated as a love interest for Casey, obviously. Um so you would have to assume she's like supposed to be a similar age to like Chuck's parents, maybe? Which I I would say she's definitely as an actress younger than Scott Bakula, but I would say like because like is Casey supposed to be like Chuck's parents' age, sort of, or like younger? I always pictured that he'd be slightly younger. I mean that makes sense. So like they they had this encounter in 1995 when Chuck was in middle school. So like mm-hmm. say they were like hot shot young spies, like maybe they were in their 20s when Chuck was in middle school. So. I guess that kind of tracks what my my point here was that I feel like when I was initially watching this, I was like, oh, Carrie Ann Moss is like who I'd like to be when I grow up. And now I'm looking at her and I'm like, this is this is my contemporary. Um. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think she's still older in the show than you are currently. <laughs> I still think you have plenty of time to grow into being Carrie Ann okay, Moss. Well, but I'll, I'll work on it. I don't know if I would refer to her as your contemporary. She is my contemporary. Um, she is. Mm, she's she's younger than my mom, so that's. So by default, she's your contemporary. Yes. I saw this earlier too. She's like, what, like in her fifties? Yeah, she's fifty-four. So yeah, there's a little bit of an age gap between you <laughs> just two. Just a little, just a small one. This was 10 years ago that this was filmed roughly, so she would have been 44 when she was in Chuck. Well, she's look, she looks great. I mean, she looks she also looks great now. Um, we saw her in Jessica Jones. So, may, I mean, maybe that's what I'm responding to, is that she looks older in Jessica Jones than she does in this show that was filmed roughly 12 years before Jessica Jones. But um, I, I don't know if my what? math checks. <laughs> not at all. <laughs> Uh, I want to offer another little fun casting tidbit. Uh, Carrie Ann Moss, little known fact, was in a little property called The Matrix, uh, which was a well-known science fiction I was, film. I was thinking to myself when she showed up on screen, like, ah, I can't believe that Chuck's never made a reference to The Matrix. And then I thought about all of the season four finale. <laughs> so, yeah. But now now there's another Matrix reference just existing with Carrie Ann Moss. And I would say that I'm really happy to see her, even though she's playing a bit of an antagonist at the moment. Chuck and Morgan are at a convenience store picking up a frozen dinner for Casey. We don't really understand why they're doing this. There's no explanation or like a previous scene explaining like Casey, like showing Casey being like, go get me a dinner. Yeah. But they're at this convenience store. It's a Circle K. They're at the uh, Hungry Man section of the frozen dinners, which I was like, Casey would be a hungry man. That's Yeah, he would. I'm usually a hungry man, but I've never actually had the Hungry Man branded frozen dinner. They're a real dad dinner. Yeah, they just look so, they look so sad. <laughs> they're like 
advertised to be like this cool manly like you're the hungry man this will feed you but then you look at it and you're like i don't know it's just kind of condescending that they have to market it like "Ooh, who's a little hungry man are you a little hungry man you want this little you're, if you purchase one you are contractually obligated to do like here comes the airplane to yourself <laughs> who wants a little frozen salisbury steak <laughs> Anyhow, so Morgan is complaining about not getting to use the intersect more often and says that for the first time in his life, he feels as cool as Chuck, but he can't act on it. Fortunately for him, an armed robber enters the store at that exact moment and holds the cashier at gunpoint. Because if you're watching a movie or a TV show and two characters are at a convenience store, you can almost guarantee that that convenience store is going to get robbed because there's no other reason for any other scene to take place in a convenience store. Well, it actually, like, I mean, it happens in everything, but, like, this scene is literally verbatim in Shab- Shazam. I was going to say Shabam. It is. Shabam! Um, Shabam. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, honestly, if you, like, <laughs> cut out the audio um, and, like, just put in the audio from Shazam, I think it would match. Listeners, another challenge. We're asking <laughs> a lot of you this episode, but get on it. Uh, Morgan is ecstatic about this, and in case we haven't mentioned it, uh, this episode takes place at Halloween, and this is the convenience store that I was referring to earlier. This is a Circle K that fucking loves Halloween. It does, yeah. The Circle K has better Halloween decorations than Tim Burton's house. <laughs> it is the most decked out uh, display of Halloween. Uh, this episode aired on November 4th, so I'm wondering that's kind of like why maybe it was like a Halloween episode, mm-hmm. but not super Halloween. Yeah, okay. It was like post-Halloween. Mm-hmm. But uh, what the the convenience store is selling Halloween costumes and things. And one of the things that they're selling is like a Zorro mask. Like, I don't know how yeah, you really a, like, refer to that's it. That's probably a good way of describing it. It's like an eye mask, yeah. like a raccoon. So, like, well, you might say like a bandit mask. Oh, that would be that's a good way to describe it. I'm going to write that down. <laughs> Morgan grabs one of those from an end cap and says that it's time for the bearded bandit. He makes a deep Batman voice and Chuck tries to talk him out of it, but it's too late. Morgan has already zoomed and he's gone. He charges at the robber and Roundhouse kicks him in the face, knocking him down. The cashier is grateful but concerned when Morgan introduces himself as the bearded bandit because, as Chuck said before, bandits are criminals. So why would he call himself the bearded bandit if he was going to be a hero? As this is happening, the actual gunman stands back up and aims at Morgan. Morgan is stunned and doesn't know what to do. And the gunman fires, but Chuck leaps out and pushes the gun towards the air so the bullet narrowly misses Morgan's stupid face. Morgan celebrates and says that he and Chuck should become superheroes. Just as the police pull up outside, Chuck says that he's the worst handler in the world, and the two flee the crime scene. The next day, Mommy and Daddy, sorry, I mean Sarah and Casey, (laughs) confront Chuck with a newspaper article about the bearded bandit. They're not angry at Chuck, just disappointed. They tell him that he needs to get his act together as a handler because Morgan could have gotten himself killed the other night. Chuck acknowledges this and says that he's a bad handler despite having been a handler for like, 10 different people in past episodes like Chuck has been a handler more frequently than Sarah and Casey have been handlers for Chuck. Chuck has been the handler for a guy that the the, uh, the crazy guy in the first season for the nerdy guy yeah, in uh, that second season. The one that you hated? The Nacho Sampler? Nacho Sampler guy. didn't like him. He was also a handler for Vivian Volkov. That's like, true. Mm-hmm. Chuck has been a handler multiple times. This is a plot point that we've done, but Chuck is acting like this is the first time he's ever been tasked with handling someone. So uh, 
Despite that, Casey and Sarah tell Chuck that they found where Wesley is being held. That's uh, uh, Carl's younger brother. And they're ready to make moves, but they need to get Morgan in line first. So out in the courtyard, Chuck tells Morgan that he needs to stay in the van. Morgan is upset that Chuck is not advocating for him to have more uh, like responsibilities on the team. Chuck explains that he's just trying to protect Morgan because he obviously needs it. But Morgan doesn't want to hear it. At the Buy More, the film shoot for the new commercial is in full swing with Big Mike as the director. Jeff and Lester pull their usual stunts and Big Mike says, in what might be the greatest line of the entire series, man, I am so over this whole Jeffster thing. <laughs> to which Lester says, me too. I was uh, I was thinking you were going to comment on that one. <laughs> I loved it. This whole scene was a treat because the next shot is of Fernando, yep. uh, played by friend of the show, Jesse Hyman, eating an ice cream cone. It was great. And it was nice. I, we saw him. We saw Skip Johnson. It was really magical. Right. And this pushes Big Mike past his breaking point. <laughs> he can't take anymore. He calls cut and addresses the entire Buy More staff, saying that they're all disappointments and that they need somebody sexy, like he was in the 1970s, to be in their commercial. But because it's the Buy More, they don't have anyone on their crew who's sexually appealing to both men and women. Who should enter the store at that very moment? Why, it's Captain Awesome himself. Big Mike knows what he must do. And... um I appreciated this because, you know, Devin comes into the store and he kind of gets the um, pretty girl entry. Yeah, into I, wrote, the I wrote the Sarah Walker treatment. <laughs> gets the fan blowing on him. He's walking in slowly. Yes. And I was like, you know what? It's We've had a nice subversion. It's a nice subversion, but it's also Devin has been kind of like in dad mode recently. Uh -huh. We haven't really had any good like reminders of like Devin is very hot. Mm -hmm. And I was like, this is refreshing. Devin is very hot. I'm glad that we're acknowledging that Ryan McPartland is an exceedingly good-looking human being. Outside of the Bymore, Team Bartowski stands at the foot of a mountain. They look up and see the mansion where Wesley is being kept. Their plan is to scale the cliff to get into the mansion, but they aren't confident in Morgan's ability to climb, so they make him stay in the van. After bringing him out of the van just to show him what they'll be doing, like, there's no reason for Morgan to have left the van, but they're like, this is what we're doing. Now go back in the van. Chuck, uh... Belays, Sarah? That's what the term is, right? Belays. Sorry, I'm. <laughs> yes, that's. That, I mean, that's. Are you looking at pictures of Ryan McPartland? No, and what he's apparently in an Avril Lavigne music video where he plays a man who's cheating on his wife with Avril Lavigne. Whoa. Um, with with his babysitter, maybe. So, uh, that's that's what I was doing. But Belays sounds correct. Yes. So Chuck is blank Sarah as she starts scaling the cliff and Casey uses a special gun to launch metal handles into the rock face. They say the name of this later in the episode, but I didn't recall it, but it's pretty cool. It's a neat little gadget. So he's like constructing a path for Sarah up the cliff. As Sarah climbs, she calls Casey on a private line to tell him about her meeting with Verbansky. Casey wants to know why. And Sarah says that she thinks Verbansky was trying to use Sarah to get to Casey and that she has Casey's gun on display in her office. Casey's intrigued by this so much so that he forgets to shoot Sarah another handle and Sarah starts to lose her grip. <gasps> Casey snaps out of it and shoots another handle just in time, saving Sarah. He says, don't worry, I have your back. And then we have a little sequence of Sarah successfully climbing the rock face and arriving at the mansion. Goes on for a little while. It's just It does, but it was nice to see her uh, succeeding. Yes, absolutely. Okay, um, now now that we've reached the... Um... Now that we've reached the end of that very uh, tense moment, I just want to say that um, the Avril Lavigne song that I referenced is called Give What You Like, which the music video is starring uh, Ryan McPartland. 
as a uh, inf- infidelist, that's not the right word, um, but he is he was cheating on his wife with the babysitter. Um, in fact, the song and music video are from a movie called Babysitter's Black Book, which also stars Ryan McParklin. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna just describe the plot to you. Um, I think this is very important for us all to know. Friends start a babysitting business to save up for college, but when the babysitting money just isn't cutting it, they start a prostitution business as well. Wait, is this like a real movie or is that the plot of a porno? Because it sounds I mean, very both, probably both pornographic. Ryan McPartland is above the title on the movie poster and plays apparently one of the clients. So that's uh, that's something that um, I just wanted you to know. Is it supposed to be a comedy or what? It seems it seems like a drama to me. The uh, IMDb tags are sex scene, younger woman, older man, voyeur, voyeurism, and cleavage, and it is described as a TV fourteen drama. Huh. So there you go. Well, is it a lifetime movie? Maybe it's a lifetime movie. Uh, that would make more sense. Yeah, it's a Lifetime movie. All right. Uh, We got it. We tracked it down. We solved the mystery. Ryan McPartland, I'm sure you did a great job in that one. So just as Aaron was successful in tracking that down, uh, our team was successful in tracking down Wesley, who is in the mansion. Uh, Wesley is played by Justin Hartley. So the team startles Justin Hartley and demands to know what happens on the next season of This Is Us. (laughs) If you don't understand that joke, pause the episode right now and go get your mom. She will appreciate that joke. I guarantee it. You could also um, you could watch the uh, Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on NBC and you will definitely see him. Any given year <laughs> on, on the Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, you will find Justin Hartley. He will be there promoting. Maybe he's there promoting <laughs> This Is Us. Maybe he's promoting a different show. Maybe he's promoting La Brea. He's probably in La Brea. <laughs> just just as sure as tom the turkey will be there at that thanksgiving day parade so will justin hartley yes so it turns out that justin hartley is uh not being held against his will he actually lives in this mansion he's hiding here in a heavily fortified mansion to protect himself from his brother carl and um other ravenous this is us fans i guess it's <laughs> gotta be probably hard being in this is us it's a it's very, a very popular show yeah that wasn't what you were talking about, but I just wanted to throw it out there. I, I would say he's pretty good looking. Turns out that Carl is the one who is trying to get Wesley because Wesley is trying to uh, testify against him in court. And Carl wants him dead. Chuck insists that they don't want to hurt him, but Wesley doesn't believe him and calls in his guards. Chuck tries to call for Morgan in the van, but Morgan's nowhere to be found. Just kidding. He's right outside fighting his way through an army of guards. Morgan makes his way inside and immediately zooms on Wesley and tries to tell the rest of the team what they already know. Chuck's phone rings and it's Carl. He's been watching them using satellites, I yeah, guess. It, as you do. It's a, it says that he knows that the Carmichael team has gone into the mansion. He says he's sending his own team to pick up Wesley now. So Chuck and the gang make their way out of there to figure out their next moves. They take Wesley with them. Later on in Castle, Chuck, Sarah, Morgan, and Casey talk to Carl via video conferencing. Chuck confronts Carl and calls him out on his bullshit. But Carl says that they have four hours to give Wesley to him or he's going to come after them himself. Carl then says that he's going to leave a bad review for Carmichael Industries, at which point Casey hangs up on him. The team discusses their options and Morgan suggests that they confront Carl head on. Casey says that they don't really have enough manpower for that. So Sarah suggests that they they call Beckman, but no one really seems into that. Morgan insists that they don't have enough time for that. And Casey starts to get aggravated at Morgan. 
He tells Morgan to go get him a burrito, but Morgan says that this, he is the intersect. Chuck intervenes and pulls Morgan out of the room before Casey breaks his face. Back in the buy more, Big Mike may or may not have pretended to have a dizzy spell to get alone time with Devin in his office. It's not clear whether or not like Big Mike had an actual medical emergency <laughs> or if he was just faking it to talk to Devin. I would assume he was faking it, but uh, yeah, it's not established. We start the scene in media res. Yes, they are. They're alone in the office. It's um, much more romantic than it actually sounds. Uh, it does involve Big Mike giving Devin some bodily fluid. <laughs> so sounds like it's very close to uh, Babysitter's Black Book in terms of <laughs> sexual content. Big Mike pitches Devin on the commercial and Devin says that uh, although he used to model for Abercrombie and Fitch in college, he hung up those cargo pants a long time ago and is looking forward to going on paternity leave to hang out with his year old daughter at this point. I don't know how paternity leave works, but I guess you can just take it whenever. You think she's a year old? You think it's been a year since she was born? Right. It's a year after the season four, right? Oh, is it? Did Did they establish that? I guess not. I was just assuming that because season five was produced a year after that. it was. I thought it was starting up like pretty immediately after. But I guess oh. they had time to get Castle together. I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's a good point. You could be right. I'm probably wrong. You're probably right. Big Mike points out that Chuck is Devin's family. And by helping the buy more, Devin would be helping Chuck, who is once again Devin's family. Devin considers this. And then we cut to Morgan and Chuck driving in the Nerd Herd Mobile to go get burritos. Morgan vents about Casey, but also complains about Sarah. Chuck starts to get defensive, but Morgan says that Casey and Sarah are scheming against both of them. They only asked Chuck to be Morgan's handler because they didn't want him to realize that he is also being sidelined. This seems to make Chuck sad. As Chuck uh, looks longingly out the window, he notices that they missed the exit for the burrito place. Morgan says that they're not going to the burrito place. They're going to Carl's headquarters and the two of them are going to take down Carl on their own. Chuck says he's going to call Casey and Sarah to help, but Morgan says that they'll just sideline them again. Once they arrive at Carl's, Morgan starts loading up the trank guns, and Chuck tries to talk him out of it. He says he knows what it's like to have the intersect for the first time, and it's overwhelming, but Morgan doesn't listen to him. He says that Chuck is a hero with or without the intersect, and they can take on the mission, just the two of them, just like Batman and Robin, or in this case, Batman and Batman. Morgan says that he needs Chuck's help, hands him a gun, and then runs into the building. Chuck hesitates and calls Sarah to tattle on Morgan. Sarah tells Chuck not to go in after Morgan, but Chuck doesn't listen because he says that he's Morgan's handler and he needs to protect and support him. So Sarah and Casey have to drop everything in Castle and come to their immediate rescue. Before they head out, Sarah sees that Casey left Brubansky's website open on the Castle computer. She's interrupted by Schneider's brother, who comes out of wherever they were keeping him, apparently in Castle. He's just kind of in there. He wasn't like... I mean, he's witness protection, so it's not like he was in a cell, but also like he wasn't in the main room with them. So was he in that like weird bedroom that they have that we thought Shaw was sleeping in or like <laughs> what was he doing? I don't know. Um, He says his brother's compound may look like an ordinary office building, but is actually a fortress. But I have a comment here. No, it fucking doesn't look like a normal office building. It looks like a medieval church. This is actually um, the MacArthur, which is an Elks Lodge and Park Plaza Hotel in downtown Los Angeles. And it's mm-hmm. like a historic venue that that's like regarded as beautiful and fancy. It does not look like a normal office building. I don't know if they just like filmed this before they picked the set. 
I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I don't even I'm not even super familiar with obviously the buildings in Los Angeles, but I saw this building and I was like, that looks familiar yeah. and or like a exterior that they've already used on Chuck at some yeah. point. It looks very similar. Um, the shot that they use, the building itself does not really look similar to this, but it looks like what I refer to as the Lucifer Hotel, which I believe has been in Chuck. If not, mm. if not just once, then maybe many times. It looks similar to that. Um, it does not look like an office building. They have shown office buildings before. Mm-hmm. Um, this does not look like that. But it's a nice building. Yeah. So inside, Chuck once again tries to convince Morgan to leave the compound, but Morgan is all hopped up on intersect juice. He zooms and takes down a fresh-faced young guard to... I I did not uh I did not do any research on this specific aspect. Maybe you know. It sounds kind of like an offspring song or like an off-brand offspring song. I don't know what the actual song was. <laughs> but it's kind of punky. Well, in the car, Sarah and Casey bicker about Verbansky and Casey's internet search history. Casey reveals that Verbansky is in fact interested in him sexually. Whoa. He tries to tell the story of their sordid history, but Sarah cuts him off. Meanwhile, Chuck and Morgan take down the guards in a pretty boring fight. I don't know if you were enthused by this. I was I was pretty bored. It should be like novel and cool to see Morgan fighting, but it, it really wasn't. Um, as they knock down the last guard, Chuck says, good job, Indy. And Morgan doesn't know who that is. Of course, I I personally heard this and thought that they were referring to my aunt and uncle's cat, Indy. Um not right. Indiana Jones, like it's kind of, but I mean, I guess that's kind of the point that it's a little bit um, questionable if Morgan would know this or not, if it's like, maybe he's just distracted, but it is a little bit alarming that he doesn't roll with the reference. Right, because it was a very heavy handed Indiana Jones yes. reference mm-hmm, when mm-hmm. the guy comes out and does the thing. And I was like, wow, this is a really heavy handed Indiana Jones <laughs> reference. I hope that they acknowledge it or whatnot, or they better acknowledge it. And then they do. And so I was pleased that they subverted it in that morgan didn't really actually yeah, mm-hmm. know it so i was like okay it's a it's an interesting take on what they normally do so in their moment of relative peace chuck reveals that he did in fact call casey and sarah for help and morgan is rather unreasonably upset to make matters worse schneider shows up right at this moment and locks the place down Outside, there's no way for Sarah and Chuck to get in because this uh, very fancy not office building is indeed a fortress. Sarah reasons that they need to do whatever it takes to save Chuck and Morgan, so she pulls out her phone to make a call. Now tied up, Morgan hardcore guilts Chuck about betraying him and says that Sarah and Casey don't trust him and neither does Chuck. Snyder decides he's going to kill one of them because he only needs one hostage, but then the lights go out and laser pointers start strobing like a house cat's field day. Just like at the beginning, it's Verbansky Corp. Apparently, uh, Sarah hired Verbansky Corp to rescue Chuck and Morgan, but it is going to cost Carmichael Industries. Casey and Verbansky make eye contact as Verbansky is leaving the room and she trips, which I thought was a very endearing um, little moment from her because she's Mm -hmm. like this badass woman, but it seems like Casey brings out another side of her. Ooh. So that's pretty cute. But what's less cute is that once they're safe, Morgan storms out of the compound. Back at the Bymore, Devin's commercial is a hit and the Bymore finances are once again pretty good. This is promising, but we do learn that Carmichael Industries is still in substantial debt. Back in the courtyard that night, Morgan apologizes to Chuck for kind of being generally a dick. Chuck apologizes for calling Sarah and Casey, which is stupid, um, and says that becoming a spy takes time. But Morgan is being a little weird about it. 
He says he's leaving to go to Alex's, which made me excited that we were going to get a scene with Alex, but uh, we didn't. Um, Chuck reminds Morgan about Trilogy Night, but Morgan doesn't seem that into it, even though Chuck says that their options are Star Wars or Die Hard. I guess at this time, Star Wars was just a trilogy, like the prequels were out, but we were still a few years out from the, uh, the new movies. So I don't know, but maybe they're watching the prequels. Maybe that was one of their options. That is a trilogy. Anyway, once Morgan is gone, Casey comes out of his apartment and he and Chuck comment on how Morgan hasn't seemed like himself lately. Chuck is a little nervous about this. And that, that would seem like the end of the episode, but no, we do have more. Early the next morning, Chuck goes jogging in Echo Park. And uh, Sarah is also there. She shows up. Um, and it's established that it's pretty early in the morning, like maybe 6 or 6.30 a.m. Chuck asks Sarah if she was, in fact, trying to handle him, but she assures him she only wanted him to bring out the best in Morgan. Casey's own early morning, potentially 6 a.m. or 6.30 a.m. routine, is apparently practicing asking Verbansky on a date. <laughs> he calls her, then hangs up. Um, she answers the phone, but she's in the middle of her own early morning 6 a.m., 6.30 a.m. meeting <laughs> with Morgan. So, I mean, I have a lot of questions about this, but number one is why does she answer the phone during what is presumably a job interview? That's like a, a big <laughs> dog move. Um, Morgan tells Verbansky that he's the intersect. In a very forced line, she says she was wondering who the Luke Skywalker on their <laughs> team is, and he says, who is Luke Skywalker? Oh, no. And I was relieved because I was like, oh, so that's why he didn't recognize Mark Hamill in last week's episode. Uh, yes. Oh, you finally, finally, we've uh, figured that one out. It's because the intersect is corroding his brain. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you <laughs> remember? Um, do you remember this plot line? Nope, I remember nothing. Okay. Because the intersect has also corroded my brain. <laughs> I mean, that makes sense. Um, we've established many times that I watched season five um, most recently of the seasons, like before we started our rewatch. So this is all very fresh in my mind. I have like a, a very clear, probably minute by minute recollection of the next episode. And I am really not looking forward to it. Wow. Huh. I'm intrigued. Very intrigued. Of course, as we all know, this is my favorite episode of Chuck ever. But the next one is my least favorite episode of Chuck ever. Oh, wow. That might not be true now, but it um, I didn't like it at the time. So we'll see. Erin saying that she doesn't like next week's episode, but did want to take a moment and uh, have a little bit of a segment of the uh, episode in review when we read uh, reviews <laughs> online of episodes. All right. I think I know uh, what you're going to comment on here. <laughs> found a couple of them that I'd like to share. We have two reviews. One of them gives it, or sorry, both of them give this episode one star out of 10. The first review, both of them are also pretty recently. Yeah, They're both this from this year. January 2021 is the first one, I think. Yeah. So uh, it's <laughs> the subject line is painfully bad. <laughs> It's the user is uh, Sky Baltimore, Sky Baltimore. This is hands down the worst episode ever. (laughs) And that category is getting increasingly crowded. In addition to this series, other shortcomings like the wretched writing and directing. It's become painfully clear that Zachary Levi cannot act to save his soul. No matter what he tries, he ends up coming across like a neurotic teenage boy and or a clownish Jerry Lewis. I mean, that's fair. (laughs) Either way, it's pure torture watching him and Gomez and the lot of them, with the possible exceptions of Strahovski and Baldwin, and even they are getting on my nerves lately. Harsh but fair. That's scathing. 
And then we have another one from June 2021, which is even more recent. Right. That subject line is just horrible. <laughs> the user is Jinx to Ennian? Ennian? Uh, they say, there's nothing positive about this episode or this season. <laughs> With Morgan having the intersect, a mildly annoying character becomes one of the worst characters in TV history. Wow. He is immature and obnoxious. He should have been kept as a background character because he ruined Chuck. Okay, like I'm not I'm not saying that I didn't have similar feelings in previous seasons, and I'm not even saying that I don't feel that way now, but that is that's a lot. And that's a lot to say in the year 2021. Like if you were if you were having the opinion that like Morgan ruined Chuck like as Chuck was airing, but like I I'm curious about the people who are like newly getting into Chuck. Is it is it funnier if it's someone who has recently been watching all of Chuck and is just like, I need to make my comments known, even though it's like 14 years after the fact? Or is it funnier if it was someone who was just like waiting for the right venue since they watched Chuck and has been waiting for these 10 years to be like, I got to make my comment on season five. And then they just learned about IMDb. I think that's probably it. I think they've probably been going about their life being like, Having all this pent up aggression, yeah. just like, oh, I fucking hate Morgan in season five. <laughs> terrible. And their friends and family are like, you really got to like release this kind of anger somehow. Like, I just don't have an outlet. I need to be able to con- convey my hurt and my pain. And then someone's like, have you tried IMDb? And they're like, wait a second. And then they put all of their anguish into an IMDb review. They kissed their daughter on the forehead again. They're reading bedtime <laughs> stories to their kids. They made love to their spouse. Beautiful. Is, that, is that a reference to the tomorrow war the ending <laughs> I mean, of the tomorrow I guess, war yeah i guess so <laughs> chris pratt has finally gotten over his feelings of inadequacy yeah that that was a reference to that so i'm i'm happy that we got to uh provide further outlet for both of you and maybe they're listeners maybe they've been watching uh and listening to go chug yourself if if either of you is uh these reviewers um you can stay anonymous if you want or you can let us know Continuing with what is a very interactive episode of Go Chuck Yourself. So coming out of those two scathing reviews of this episode, specifically about Morgan, I'd like to move right into Chuck, Mary, okay. Kill. And I'm mm-hmm. just going to dive right into my Mary for the week. My Mary this week is Joshua Gomez's performance. Oh, my God. Really? We saw a different side of Morgan this week. And I think that Joshua Gomez as an actor did a really good job of delivering a new take on a character that he's been playing for the past four seasons. We saw this was we've seen Morgan. He's been in every episode. That's just true. about. Mm-hmm. But this is Morgan's very different now and no one likes him. And that's because he's been he's changed as a character. Joshua Gomez really rose to the occasion. Morgan is not acting like himself. So Joshua Gomez is not acting like he normally does. He's acting differently. Uh, I thought he did a good job. I think. Um, I, I guess that's not like a judgment call on the like the narrative or like the character of Morgan at this point. It's more of just his performance. Yeah, I think that's fair. And it's not something that I had thought about because I would say that I am annoyed um, with the idea of like Morgan losing a lot of his character development and kind of, he's he's not really backsliding into like being like what he was in earlier seasons, but it is kind of tangential. So I wasn't thinking so much about the performance to make that happen. But I do actually agree that Joshua Gomez did a great job and that there are some nuances to it. It's not just like he is the kind of like toxic, nerdy character that he was before. There's like Mm -hmm. it's it's different. He's toxic in a different way now. And that's 
that's hard to pull off. Yeah. After five exactly. seasons. Right. What would you like to marry? I would like to marry um, something much smaller. It's one of Casey's lines from earlier in the episode where he is describing um, his encounter with Verbansky. He says that she made a nasty scar right over one of his favorite scars, um, which is kind of a typical Casey, like vaguely throwaway, just like line that he spouts off. That's kind of like masculine and weird and um i really like the idea that he has favorite scars and that um it's Mm. not like she ruined one of his tattoos that he paid for it's like he had a scar that he liked and i just like that idea and i like that it's not really remarked upon he just says it i thought you were going to say that you liked when he was talking about having sex with someone who tried to kill him Mm -mm. no no i I just kind of that's i mean that's something that i've learned in my own life that's something that i know um so it wasn't um Sorry, my my alarm is going off. Um, Your alarm to remind you to go have sex with someone who's trying to kill you? Yeah, that's exactly. <laughs> um, so speaking of kills, uh, sure. what's, what's your kill for the this well, week? Well, I feel like I feel like the, there was not really like a resolution or like I feel like the buy more subplot with Devin was kind of disappointing. Like, Fair. I feel like they just kind of needed one more scene, like a very quick thing when they're filming the commercial. Uh-huh. To bring it home, uh-huh. like, because I feel like we go from Big Mike pitching the commercial to yeah. Devin, and then all of a sudden we see the commercial being aired inside the Buy More. <laughs> yeah. With a bunch of people. Everybody's there. Um, presumably they've already <laughs> seen it, because why would they be there right. if not? So that just felt weird. And we, as the audience, do get to see some of Devin's commercial. It is which a good was a, job. Like, a really, well, yeah, it was a really good commercial, but I felt like it was just kind of a little uneven. And I feel like, um, between this and last week, like I'm kind of picking up that perhaps the buy more is not going to get that much love or attention this season. Well, with the seems like they're getting a little underdeveloped. Don't, but know, that's don't okay. speak too soon. It's the Friday night death slot. It's Friday night death slot. Um, my kill is kind of the opposite of your Mary. Um, this sometimes happens. Um, I don't love the return of what I'm dubbing Morgan's toxic masculinity. Um, It makes me very uncomfortable and sad. I understand why they're doing it. And it is maybe even a good move for the show or for this final season where they don't have as many episodes. Like it is kind of an interesting thing to play with. I know it's going to have huge repercussions um, later in the season and on the final episode. I remember these things. Um, So I guess the idea that the intersect is corroding morgan's brain and could potentially corrode other people's brains um it's it's just a plot that makes me very upset um as a person i i don't like seeing people lose their character growth it makes me very sad it makes me very anxious so that's like maybe a personal problem that i need to make peace with and talk in therapy about but um something that i actually don't love about it is something we're going to get into in later episodes but the idea that i i don't remember how this is explained but i don't love the idea that like chuck had the intersect and was fine and morgan has the intersect and it is corroding his brain i think maybe it's either a different kind of the intersect or like chuck's brain was primed for some way obviously chuck is the main character of the show but i feel like it feels like a little like chosen one ish like i i feel bad for morgan that like he can't handle the intersect when Chuck could like I, mm-hmm. I I liked this for Morgan as a as an idea. And it it sucks that like he can't come into his own in this way. 
and he's kind of stuck at where he was, which was admittedly an okay place. But I don't know. I feel bad for Morgan, which is something I never thought I'd say. Well, that's a really good point. That's a, uh, I didn't really think of it like that. Um, but I don't remember how they explain it. So maybe there is an explanation that isn't just like Chuck's brain is better. Well, wasn't it that the, didn't Chuck get exposed to the intersect when he was a kid? I, like, Steven that's true. And like Stephen did work on it. So maybe it was modeled a little bit more after the Bartowski brain. But mm. still, still don't, don't love it. Well, what we do love is the scooter scale and those corn dogs just cramming corn dogs into our mouths. I know, I'm, it's dinner time here, so I'm pretty hungry for some corn dogs. Yes. So, Aaron, how many corn dogs are you giving this episode? I'm going to give this episode, um, as as we've established, this is my favorite episode ever of Chuck. So, mm, um, of course, I am going to be giving it a three. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I don't know. I, I didn't, I, like, I don't necessarily agree with the two reviewers. I didn't hate this episode. Um, it had some things that I liked, um, between, like, small jokes, casting choices, um, just, like, generally, I felt, um, ambivalently positive about this episode, I think I am trying. I know I gave my uh, last week's episode a fairly high score as well. Um, I feel like my feelings, my feelings about season five based on my memories of season five is that my opinions of episodes are going to rapidly start dipping. So um, I've been pleasantly surprised by the last two that I didn't hate them. Um, so it gets it gets a little bit of a bump just just because of my own personal biases. Sounds good. I the more that you talk about this, I didn't realize that you had such concrete, intact memories of the season. Uh, the more that you talk about it, the more concerned I get. <laughs> With that being said, I give this episode a three point five out of five. Wow. So I thought this was a solid episode. Thought the tension between Chuck and Morgan was good, as well as the tension between Morgan and Sarah and Casey. The twist with Carl and Wesley was also pretty solid. Mm -hmm. uh, the rock climbing scene was visually interesting. It was different from anything we've That's seen true. thus far in Chuck. I also appreciated the season return of Big Mike and Devin, and they were working together, no less. I know. We never usually, we don't get a Big Mike-Devin combo. The introduction of Verbansky was also fun. I enjoy how she and her company factored into the main plot, but also Casey's, uh, well, sex life, I guess. <laughs> um, I also, so thinking about it, Casey would have had a tryst with... Um, Verbansky after Alex was already conceived. Yeah, he didn't know about Alex. It would have been because he wasn't a spy when Alex was conceived. He was just like pre-military. Mm -hmm. And I mean, let's face it, dads can have sex too. So even if he did know about Alex, doesn't can't stop him. You know? Yeah, that's well. He had to fake his death and leave that woman behind. Hey, you got to do what you got to yeah. do if it you're going to have a chance like with Carrie like and Moss. Planning to have sex with Rabansky, it was just that she tried to kill him, and then like the, then that was like the perfect moment. So I'm glad that Carrie Ann Moss is here. I look forward to seeing more of her. I'm intrigued to see how things are going to play out with Morgan going rogue. Um, and I, yeah, I think that there's a little bit of the tension between Chuck and Morgan and like kind of challenging their friendship mm -hmm. and their connection, which has been a fundamental pillar of the series That's thus true. far, mm -hmm. I think is an interesting way to start the fifth and final season. I think it's a little bit more interesting of a dynamic than, or at least a more interesting source of drama than the like 
Carmichael Industries has no money and Chuck yeah. and Sarah are trying to buy a house, blah, blah, blah. I mean, this isn't two broke girls. It's not. This is Chuck. <laughs> That's what we're talking about. And now, bringing it all home. It's been quite an episode. Aaron, what did you learn this week? Well, I wouldn't say I learned this this week, but I mm-hmm. did. Um, I am aware that sex is really good with someone who just tried to kill you. But mm-hmm. since that is not a new lesson for me personally, I also wanted to add that apparently the literal head of Verbansky Corp will just interview anyone off the street for a job opening. So if you're <laughs> if you're in the market, I think I know a place you can go. And they there have they have their offices at like the Performing Arts High School yes, in Los is, Angeles. Um, I'll tell you exactly what it is. It's Central Los Angeles Public High School for Visual and Performing Arts. So you can just head there. They're ma- they're pretending that they have all this money, but realistically, they have to rent out office space in a high school. <laughs> yeah, seems kind of weak. Although maybe that's how they save money. Uh, this week, I learned in addition to about in addition to the things I learned about Los Angeles buildings. Uh, I learned that if you want to protect your identity from the authorities, all you need to do is cover up that little bit of skin surrounding your eyes. Cover that up and the police will not be able to track you down. Well, did you not already know have... that? Have you not like seen any movie? Have you it's not seen joke, like Aaron. Cinderella? I'm not. The lessons of the week don't have to be things that we're actually learning. It's just okay, it's more of a facetious lesson. So let me finish my okay, lesson. Go, so say it. If even if the police, I don't want to finish it now because it's dumb. <laughs> if the police have your fingerprints or the picture in the newspaper or your image on security footage, it doesn't matter because if you cover that skin around your eyes, they will not recognize you. It's actually weird. Little eye masks are basically get out of jail free cards, everyone. I mean, it's like, but it is a good question because we do see Chuck kind of wiping his fingerprints off the gun. Um, mm-hmm. But what they kind of don't engage with is that. If they had security cameras that could have caught Morgan's um, like hero, her, quote unquote heroism, they also mm-hmm. um, would have been able to catch Morgan entering um, and could probably just base it off of the fact that this guy is wearing the same exact outfit, but also has the little mask on. Um, they probably mm-hmm. could have gotten an actual uncovered picture of Morgan. <laughs> um, so I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, In addition to absolutely an uncovered photo of Chuck, like Chuck was also probably on the security footage. And then they could have also seen them taking down the bad guy. So maybe they know that they're innocent. Yeah. I don't know. And didn't steal anything. That's the media for you. It's been a pleasure being here talking about Aaron's favorite episode of Chuck. (laughs) Chuck versus the Bearded Bandit. It's a good one. Uh, I look forward to next week. Apparently next week is going to be a big deal. I guess we'll find out what happens. Uh, we both <laughs> looked at our phone at the same time because we got the same notification. Yep. Uh, until next week, I've been Chris Gillespie reminding you that food, like Carrie Ann Moss, <laughs> it's pretty sexy. And I've been Aaron Arata letting you know that anything is possible, including this being my favorite episode of Chuck, which, again, it is my favorite episode of Chuck. Just in case there was any... <laughs> Any lingering doubt about how Aaron feels about this episode, it is her absolute favorite. All the other ones pale in comparison to this episode. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. As always, a big thanks to the artist Hadakoa and the fine folks at freemusicarchive.org for providing us with our theme song, Warm Up. If you want to drop us a line, you can reach us at gocheckyourselfpodcast at gmail.com. Don't forget to like and subscribe to Go Check Yourself on your preferred podcast platform. 
New episodes come out every Monday morning and you do not want to miss a new episode. Thanks again. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye.